If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have a great guest on the line today. I'm talking to Mark Doust. Mark is the co-founder of Quiet Light Brokerage. They're a specialized company that help entrepreneurs acquire and sell online businesses. Mark and his um, teammates at his company have helped hundreds of entrepreneurs maximize the value of their online businesses. Mark is a highly sought-after speaker. He speaks at a lot of conferences, uh, especially relating to internet businesses. He's a contributor to entrepreneur.com, and he's also been featured in the Huffington Post, Forbes, and searchenginejournal.com. So I'm pleased to have him on the show today to talk a little bit about himself, his background, and his life experiences. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, Mark. So um, I see here on your LinkedIn bio that this isn't your first rodeo in entrepreneurship, quiet light brokerage. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure, sure. So um, it's not my first business. And uh, just outside of college. So when I was in college, I got a job with a company called Alabanza Corporation. And uh, they were an internet-based uh, company. And um, uh, I got the job with them my, my senior year of college. Uh, and uh, towards the end of the year, they offer, offered me a position out in Baltimore, uh, which I, I gladly took. Moved out to Baltimore. I uh, was starting a new career. Uh, did the whole thing of going to an office and was working for a company with over 200 employees. Um, and uh, at that time, this was in the year 2000, um, at that time, the uh, first internet bubble really burst. And a lot of companies that uh, were receiving tons of private uh, money and uh, had lots of investors were getting crazy valuations without any real revenue models uh, went belly up. Uh, they, they, they burst and the bubble burst. And our company was really no exception. Um, I remember very clearly a Monday morning uh, where you know, we went in and my department, which had um, around 30 people in, in the sales department and account management department, went from 30 people down to, I believe it was four or maybe five people total. Um, I was an account manager for that company. So I was, I was uh, working with our existing clients and I went from having just a couple of clients, two or three clients to over 200 clients within one day. Wow. Uh, I was one of the few people that survived um, that that brutal uh, axe uh, of a day. Yeah. Um, and the reason I survived it is because I was new and I was cheap. Uh, so it wasn't particularly skill. It was that I was one of the least expensive people there. Yeah. Um, and so we, we struggled. I mean, that, that company struggled for a couple of years, and I uh, worked with them for a couple of years. We, we got back up on our feet. Uh, and then uh, a few years uh, later, I got let go by the company for what amounted to politics, office politics. And that's, that, that was my last real hurrah with uh, the corporate world. I, I was really disenchanted by it and uh, thought, well, if I can get fired for, you know, while well, still doing my job, mm-hmm. uh, but get fired for politics, what, what good is that? I'd, I'd rather work for myself. Yeah. Uh, and I've been fortunate to do so. I've, I've called it being professionally unemployed because um, uh, that's how I started. I started unemployed and I started just doing whatever I could to, to make some money uh, on the side. And, uh, 
my, the first business I started was uh, a publication uh, online for uh, entrepreneurs. I helped people. Uh, I wrote articles on um, things like marketing, uh, coding, setting up a website, uh, and business issues as well. And I grew that up to over 220,000 subscribers, mm. and I sold that a few years after I started it. And and that's what turned me on to the idea of brokerage, yeah. um, which I started about a year after I sold uh, that that first uh, that first business. And that's that's how I got to where I am today. Wow, that's some um, fascinating stuff. I see here you you were a brief uh, political consultant once upon a time. Yeah, p- politics is one of those things that I, uh, you know, I, I get interested in, and and uh, I used to love a lot more than I do now, and then I get turned off by it. My brother-in-law was a uh, representative uh, in the state of Wisconsin. I worked on his campaign okay. uh, for a summer. I've I've worked on a few other campaigns as well, um, and again, I got this really big love-hate relationship with with politics. I, I love the strategy and and some of the logistics and some of the. Uh, uh, some of the stuff behind it, but um, given how consequential it is and how toxic <laughs> the yeah. space is, there are times when I, uh, I just want to leave. I, I was really involved for a while in uh, local politics. I think it was now four years ago I was at a uh, regional meeting and uh, I ended up walking out because I got so disgusted and I haven't gone back since. So um, that, that's where I am today. I'm Someday again, maybe I'll get back involved in it, but uh, it's not going to happen anytime, uh, anytime too soon. Yeah, I understand perfectly. I'm the same way myself. I tried to stay away out of uh, political conversations just because the way I look at it, they all seem to talk a lot of good stuff, but they all seem to do the same crap over and over again. So I'm like, what's the point? As long as they try and leave business owners alone, I, I'm fine with whatever they want to do in government. But yeah, I get your point completely. So yeah, and I found that if you if you want to be, make a change in, in politics, you really have to give a lot of time and energy and effort, and that's that's yeah. honestly why I walked out. I, you know, I I started to see, you know, showing up to monthly meetings wasn't going to do any good. Mm-hmm. Um, I really needed to de- dedicate time, and I just don't have it. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> maybe later on in life, I'll get involved when I can actually affect a change. But uh, right now, uh, I'll vote, and I'll I'll uh, leave it to about that. Yeah, no, well, that's good stuff. So you got into brokerage after you sold your first business, and then um, what switched on the light for you that you could probably do this full-time? Because you've been doing this business for at least over 10 years now, looking at... Uh, uh, yeah. So October of this year is our 10-year anniversary. Oh, um, wow. And Congrats. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing a blog post. I don't know if it'll be published by the time this, this episode is published, but uh, a blog post on my 10 favorite deals over the past 10 years. And uh, um, it, it's an interesting question. When did I first decide or when did I first realize that I could do this full time? I, I really went back and forth for probably the first four or five years if I even wanted to do this full time. Um, mm. Brokering is stressful. I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, there's really good money in it, uh, but it's it's a feast or famine sort of uh, sort of a position and, and mm-hmm. career. Uh, and frankly, I've, I've got kids. It's, it's stressful, you know, yeah. and, um, as I was going down and writing this blog post, I was thinking about you know, some of my favorite deals. And I think, uh, I don't have a list in front of me. I think three of the deals <laughs> that make my top 10 list for my favorite deals all happened when I was about to go broke. <laughs> so, wow. You know, it's, it's, uh, one of those things where, where, you know, I, I question a lot about whether or not I wanted to go full time with it. It didn't help that we had a really bad recession just a couple of years after I started the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say it was probably about uh, six years ago that I, I dedicated myself to, uh, to this business and, uh, wanting to grow it. 
And that was about uh, six years ago. I sold off all the other assets that I owned. I, I focused entirely on this, and uh, it's turned out well. I'm I'm very happy with where we are right now, and and uh, we're we're continuing to grow uh, with that. And I I see just how much bigger we can get, and that's that's pretty exciting. Um, fortunately, I haven't had to worry about going broke uh, recently. But you know, with this <laughs> with this uh, industry, you just never know. Like I said, it's feast or famine. Yeah. So, I mean, you just mentioned a lot of things there. So, I want to dissect each and every one of them one-on-one. And you were talking about, um, A, when you started the company was, what, 2007. That was around the Great Recession. Things were just about to happen and things really crashed in 2008, correct? Uh, It was more around 2009. At the end of 2008, we could see... We could see the writing on the wall, and I remember okay. talking to one of my brokers at the time, and he he told me he said, "Hey, something's about to happen," and, and it was right at the end of two thousand eight where where things started to happen. We didn't feel the effects in full swing until two thousand nine and two thousand ten. Mm, okay, so now your first few deals, how did you put them together? Because at this point, you had only done your own private business, you had only sold your own private business. So, how did you learn about putting together deals? and acquiring and selling um, online businesses? Because it seems to me that that's in the purview of, you know, investment bankers or specialists in M&A that will be doing such transactions. So how did you acquire the skill sets to to perform in the business? Yeah, I, that, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, and I'd, I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't some level of us learning as we went. Um, because there was, and, and I did learn a lot in those first few years on how to do a good deal. Um, but with the first deals, you know, I knew the general structure. I knew it from going through it myself, uh, firsthand. I, I knew what process I wanted to follow to be able to protect, um, my clients, the sellers and, and also the buyers. Um, and I also relied on, on some help from attorneys that uh, were M&A attorneys. So I, I was able to get some insight there. But I'd say it probably took about three years before uh, we, we knew enough where I, I could honestly, you know, looking back and, you know, 2020 is uh, obviously gives us a better perspective here. Uh-huh. Um, it really took a, a few years before we really figured it out in, in detail how to make it work. Hello? Yep. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I thought um, we got caught up. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so it okay. took about three years for it to really get going, and then the recession hits. You guys, um, deal flow, I'm sure, dries up. So how did you survive that period of farm- farming, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, we went, yeah, not very well. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, 2008, I hired, uh, I hired five brokers, and then the, the recession hit, and most of those brokers ended up moving on to other, uh, other things. Um, honestly, I mean, it was... It, it was kind of month to month um, that we mm. were we were doing things. Um, the the good thing for us is that there wasn't a lot of other companies uh, operating in the space at the time. So, yeah. um, what was out there, uh, we were able to pick up most of uh, the business uh, that was out there, um, or a good portion of it uh, to survive. But yeah, it was it was lean. I mean, fewer people were buying online businesses because investors were getting away from risky investments like an online business. Um, and the businesses that were for sale, most of them were in decline, and and that's not as an appealing business to buy if it's yeah. uh, you know declining year over year. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a bit of more of a tough time, and it was um, the beginning of 2011. And again, I, I told you in this blog post, I, I'm recording some of my my favorite deals, and yeah. 
beginning of 2011 was was really really tough. I, I uh, you know we'd gone through uh, 2010. It was not a great year for revenue uh, for the company. Uh, and at the end of the year, uh, my sister had a, a massive heart attack, and so I ended up spending a, a good month, month and a half, not really working, mm-hmm. not paying attention to the business. Now, I got into 2011 and realized at that point. I don't have any money. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was broke. I was like, oh, what, what am I going to do? Uh, but you know, as I look back in the past, uh, deals tended to crop up at the right time, and and that's exactly what happened. Mm. Uh, a deal cropped up from a, a client that I had worked with on many uh, many deals. Um, he was a buyer. He bought probably half a dozen or more uh, businesses from us, mm-hmm. and he wanted to sell one of them. And uh, we were able to sell it, and it was one of the few businesses that people were seeing that was actually growing. Wow, and. Uh, that ended up being a bit of a bellwether to, to say that the Great Recession was was uh, on its way out and uh, growing businesses were coming back, uh, and so we were able to survive uh, through through the recession. That's some good stuff. So you mentioned you've mentioned repeatedly about your ten favorite deals. So let's talk a little bit about them. What makes up a good deal for you? So g- give me like maybe your third favorite deal and why was that so good? Well, so the way I'm I'm writing my ten favorite deals, a lot of it is uh, how uh, from these deals. Um, uh, when I look back at them over the last ten years, I can see the DNA of our company okay. uh, in these deals, right? And so the I don't want to give too much away, but the third yeah. favorite deal, the reason that's a favorite deal is, uh, I believe that one was uh, the one where I, that, that was a deal called PureStat, and um, uh, the person who sold that company is now a uh, equity holder in my company and. Uh, one of my most successful brokers um, that I've ever hired. And, and so it's one of my favorite deals because it introduced me to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, obviously that's been a really good thing for our, our company. Uh, to your question, though, what makes a good deal? Um, you know, some of the other ones on our list that, that make the, the list, uh, it, it really, what makes a good deal would be the buyer and the seller being good people. And I, I don't want to make it sound too childish here. Uh, but when you're dealing with uh, valuable assets, six, seven, eight figure online businesses mm-hmm. uh, for sale, uh, these are risky investments for a buyer to make. It's a risky process for a seller to, to decide to sell that business. Mm-hmm. So dealing with people that, that you can trust, boy, that makes such a big difference. And dealing with people that have just a, a simple level of professionalism and courtesy makes such a huge difference. And I tell people this all the time. For, for buyers, Politeness and kindness and professionalism will win you more deals and get you better deals. You will not have to pay as much. Wow. For sellers, being polite, being courteous, and being organized gains you value. Like It will gain you a lot of value in, in, at the end of the day. Um, and so a, a good deal is one where you have the right mindset going into it from the buyer and the seller. Uh, and uh, and they, they have that. Obviously, there's, there's a lot that goes into a good deal. You have to yeah. have a good business. You have to have the fundamentals right. And mm-hmm. We preach this a lot, right? What are the fundamentals of, of a good business for sale? Um, so you have to get those, those right. But when I look back at the things that are memorable, it's the deals where where um, I've dealt with buyers and sellers who are professional and, and uh, knew what they were doing. And um, the result is something that, that works for everybody, and everybody ends up uh, coming out uh, ahead and, and making money. Oh. Now, it's funny to me you mentioned that because I'm thinking to my mind, a good deal would be one where oh, you know, the buyer is able to get it on the cheap and then is able to do some financial or operational engineering and maximizes value somehow. And then the whole thing blows up in the in the valuation and it becomes a unicorn and everybody IPOs and makes a lot of money. Whereas you're just saying here, the, what makes a good deal is A, just being 
a good, decent human being. You know, like the soft skills and the, the high-touch things that people don't really consider when they're looking into uh, the typical M&A transaction, you know. So that's very yeah, interesting. You know- I think when people think about M&A transactions, they often think about that, that you know, the hardball negotiation yeah. tactics and really, uh, you know, sticking it to the other person. But I'll, I'll tell you what, that stuff comes around and bites you at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, if, now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get a business that is that that is really on the cheap, right? There, those opportunities exist, and if you can get them, get them. Mm-hmm. But if you have to use dishonest tactics, if you have to use hardball tactics, if you have to really, you know, wrangle some uh, somebody for that, yeah. that's a bad deal. Or, yeah. or in, in my mind, if, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give away one of the ones on my list. Uh, it's a, a deal that I worked on that I actually didn't sell. Uh, and it was for a website that uh, was really appealing to a professional sports team here in, in the United States. I was hired to approach the sports team and to negotiate the sale of this website, uh, which I did. You know, we started this down this road, and my client called me and wanted me to to lie to them. He wanted me to tell them a story about another buyer who had approached uh, to to uh, buy the business so we could gain leverage and get more out of them. And I refused, and mm. and he and I got in an argument, and we both mutually fired each other. Yeah. Uh, I was in my car driving. I remember very very clearly. He he said, I, "I'm not sure if you're the person for this job," and I said, "I can guarantee I'm not the person for this job <laughs> if this is what you're asking me to do." Yeah. Now I'll, I'll be honest. If, if you have to lie to negotiate, you're a crappy negotiator. Yeah. Um, good negotiation and good sale uh, means that that uh, you figure out the scenario that is a win for everybody involved. And and here's the other part to it: people who are selling their businesses who are selling their online businesses, in the vast majority of cases, aren't doing it for the financial benefit. Yeah. Because it makes more money to hang on to your business for the long term. Mm-hmm. There's usually other things involved. And so you have to, as a buyer, you have to take that into consideration. What are all the goals of this person? Mm-hmm. Why are they selling their business in reality, right? Is it burnout? Is it new opportunities? Is it because they don't have any other choice? And, and respecting that, and, and from the sell side as well, understanding that the person buying your business is buying because... They want to. They want a return on investment, yep. and so you need to be able to offer that and and show them how they can get a return on that, that investment. That's a good deal, and that's a deal that where where uh, things can happen. You know, as as I've been going through this list of of my favorite deals, one thing that comes clear is the good deals branch off into other good deals. You know, the the people that I've worked with on on repeat business is remarkable when you consider the size of assets that we're selling. Yeah. Uh, but they're the ones that are consistently successful because they build relationships and and uh, those relationships pay off. This is way more about relationships than it is about uh, about uh, anything else. Yeah, and I'm so happy you mentioned this so much more about relationships compared to anything else because I think the world has gotten is almost getting away from knowing that business is more relational as opposed to transactional that this the um not to sound preachy or anything but this is kind of like um the bible of you know when you put your bre- bread in many waters after a while it will come back to you there's a parable like that in the in the bible but it's just basically you know putting out good energy good karma out there you know making this work for both parties because you never know where um the trajectory of that person's life could lead you. Like you said, you did a deal where it ended up being that the guy becomes a partner in your business and now he's worked with you for many years and um, all, all other um, serendipitous things could come out of such similar deals. So it's really, it's really interesting and really, really comforting to know that 
these are the kind of things that one should actually look out for when they're trying to um, acquire a business. Yeah, I, I, what I would say is invest in the people first. I, I mean, that, now again, that's not to say that there are not legitimate and completely honest and, and things that you should do if you want to sell your business to yep. gain value. I mean, we've we've done some things for people where they've added, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in value to their business with just a few simple changes to their their business. Yes. These are completely good things to do, and you should do them. But uh, invest in the relationships with people because that's that holds more value in the long term for for everybody involved and. And again, I, you know, ten years, hundreds and hundreds of deals. I've dealt with thousands of people. I'll tell you what: the people that are most successful understand that. They understand yeah. that you invest in in people uh, first, and the other stuff comes naturally from that. Yeah. So, what are some other things someone can do to maximize the value of the business when they want to sell it? Yeah, a good question. So, um, the, the first thing that um, I, I always talk about, and people don't like me talking about this because. It sounds a little bit boring, but you have to know your numbers. You have to have good records. You have to keep clean books. You have to have your your business in order. Um, we deal with a lot of clients who come to us. They want to sell their business. Their books are a mess. They don't know how much money they're really making, um, or they they really they don't have things organized with their business. And um, you know, from from a perspective of somebody who wants to buy that. Keep in mind that a buyer is motivated primarily by gaining a return on investment, yeah. and so they're they're constantly doing this risk versus reward sort of analysis on your business. And, and let's say you have a business for sale, and I'm, I want to buy, and your business is a complete mess. Well, what are the chances that there's something in there that could possibly hurt me down the road if mm-hmm. you don't know your own business? Yeah. Pretty high, Pretty right? High. You know, I, yeah. yeah. If I if, if I really don't know what I don't know, I'm not going to invest six, seven, eight figures in in, in you or your business. Uh, contrast that with somebody who has really clean financial records, has the operating procedures for their business written out, uh, has all their documents in order. That sort of thing really does add value and, and uh, is a really good first step. The, the second thing that you can do with that is when you have that information in order, is you can um, you can take that information and you can identify areas to add value. Um, for example, I, I tell people to focus on four things primarily when you want to maximize the value of your business. Um, the first would be areas of risk. Um, what could hurt your business? What, what could uh, really damage the revenue overnight on your business? And there's lots of things that you can look at there. Um, uh, is, your, is the product that you're selling or the business that you're in, is it a fad industry? For example, are you capitalizing on maybe the latest diet fab, uh, fad uh, going on? Um, you know, that would be something that's sort of risky. Or do you rely on only one vendor? Or are you mm. the only person in your business? These are all areas of risk yeah. that you have to look out for. Yeah. And learn to mitigate those. Uh, two, growth. You need to be able to identify the growth opportunities of your business and realize that they, they need to be realistic. Right? You can't just say, add more marketing. That makes anybody can say that. Yeah. Uh, identify some, something that that's realistic. What I, the analogy I like to use would be oil, right? You could say, you know what? Um, uh, we think there might be oil here. You just have to dig, and, and maybe you'll find some. Or you can say, we've already done the surveys. We know there's oil there. Somebody just needs to bring in the equipment. That's a that, that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, in that, uh, the third thing would be transferability. Make sure that somebody can take over your business and run it from day one. Uh, if there's any obstacle to that. Uh, then that's going to uh, cause a, a problem in, in the sale and possibly make it uh, unsellable. And the fourth thing I tell people to focus on, which I've already talked about, would be, be that documentation. Um, those four things, if you lower your risk, increase growth opportunities, make sure transferability is, is uh, easy uh, and, and doable and have clean documentation, that's the first way that you can uh, maximize the value of any business. 
Okay. Now we've talked about buying a business. So on the other side of that is the seller selling the business. Have you ever encountered a situation where a seller has um, seller's remorse after selling their business? And um, how have you been able to mitigate that? Sure. Uh, yeah. The very first one I sold was a good friend of mine. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was a lesson um, uh, that, that he learned and, and I learned. Um, you know, I, over the years, I've, I've become a lot more um, a lot more careful when I talk to somebody who wants to sell their business and have really tried to test them to make sure they want to sell. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are surprised when I tell them, you know, I go to conferences and people ask, you know, I'm trying to figure out when the best time is to sell my business. And my first reaction is never. It's, you know, selling a business is not an option you necessarily want to take unless somebody is offering you a crazy, ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. uh, for it. You know, the Google shows up at your door and says that they're going to buy you out for a billion dollars. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. For the most people, for, for the vast majority of entrepreneurs out there, it, it doesn't make sense to sell until there's some other compelling reason to do so. Um you know, if you're experiencing burnout in your business, there's there's other options in selling. If uh, if you have another opportunity that you want to pursue, there, there's again other options that you can look at. Um, so I think, you know, what have I done on my side? I, I really do try and make sure that that uh, people are ready uh, to to sell before they they do that, uh, and make sure that they put in the time if they have the time available. Um, to, to maximize the value of the business if they're determined that that's what they want to do. You know, something that, that we do at Quiet Light Brokerage, all, all of our advisors are entrepreneurs. We've all built, we've all bought, we've all sold our own online businesses of, of some sort. And the reason that I like working with people who are entrepreneurs who have that background is we get it. You know, they, they, they get it. They understand how hard it is to build a business mm-hmm. uh, that's profitable. And you know, the first business I sold, uh, I thought I'd be able to do it pr- pretty easily the second time around. It, it's tough. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard to do. So, uh, yeah, uh, anyone listening to this, I'd say, put on the business, the, the business, I would say, you know, consider it carefully. Consider other options first. It's not a bad thing to sell a business, but uh, by any means, and, and there's some benefits to it. Uh, but make sure that you explore all of your options first and foremost. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems, especially in um businesses whether buying or selling is a the person selling the business falls in love with either the business idea or the kind of industry they're in so even if they sell that business tendency is they'll tend to gravitate towards doing something within that same um, idea or that industry or that niche now do you think um, that's usually a good idea to to stay in one sector after you've exited or do you, uh, you, okay, go on. Oh, I, I was going to say, I mean, it, it, it depends. Now, you know, if you're selling a business, uh, most buyers are going to ask you to sign a non-compete agreement. So okay. um, obviously you, you can't violate that non-compete. But if you know that you're going to be in a business, um, maybe in a close niche or a neighboring niche, then and, and the buyer's aware of it, yeah, I mean, you, you go back to what you know. That's what people do. Um, what I recommend for anyone that's selling their business is to, to have a plan. Uh, for after, and if you can test a new business idea, like for example, if you have a new opportunity, and you want to take some cash off the table, you want to free up some time, so you decide that you're going to sell your business, make sure you know that new opportunity is going to be successful as much as you can possibly be, be sure of that. Um, 
otherwise, I mean, you can end up in a situation where it, it's not successful, and now you're wondering what's next. That that first business I sold, that friend of mine, that's exactly what happened to him. Yeah, uh, he thought he had another business idea. It ended up not taking off, and he ran into problems financially a few years later. Yeah, that's cool. So let's let's transition out of the business and talk about you personally. So how do you manage a large family with six kids, a wife, and also a growing business? <laughs> I hang on for my dear life. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I've talked to a few other people about this because uh, obviously it, it's a bit of an unusual situation. But yes, I have, I have six kids. My oldest uh, right now is 11 and I have a um, seven month old as well. Uh, so from 11 years old to seven months old and I have two businesses. Um, my life is very, very full. Uh, of things and it's it's fun, uh, but it it can get tiring uh, as well. You know, I think keeping balance is important. I do try and keep that balance throughout the day. Um, where you know, I go home for lunch. I make sure I go home every night. Make sure that you know, my wife and I spend at least an hour together every day. Um, you know, keeping those things in, in order, those priorities in order, is really important to me. Um, but I'd say the second thing: how do you manage it? You got to have really good people <laughs> that are supporting you. You know, that's, that starts with my wife. Uh, she really is uh, amazing as far as taking care of the kids, taking care of the house, making sure things stay somewhat sane there. Uh, with Quiet Light Brokerage, um, you know, the value for Quiet Light Brokerage is in our team. It's, yeah. it's in our, our people. Uh, you know, and that, that makes life a lot easier. It makes it possible to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And um, one of your new or recent adventures is you bought... Uh, CatholicSingles.com, which I assume is a dating company, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's right. It's the uh, first uh, Catholic dating site. Um, been around since 1997. Wow, that's a long time. So it so, is. So why did you decide to make that acquisition in addition to you know working with Quiet Light Brokerage and also you know being a family man and of course a community leader? Yeah, it, so it's it's something that um, uh, it checked a lot of boxes for me, uh, which is why why I did it. Um, I, I love quite light brokerage. I love working with with uh, buyers and sellers, but you know sometimes uh, you get that sense of it's quite light brokerage is so pure business. It's it's business business. I'm helping business yeah. people help other business people, and um, every once in a while it's nice to be able to break out of that mold. And, and so Catholic Singles does that. Um, for me, I'm, I'm hopefully facilitating relationships, you know, and relationships that turn into marriage, helping yeah. people find, uh, find love. I mean, that, that's, there's something really edifying about that. Yeah. Uh, professionally, um, the, it checked a couple of boxes for me. Um, I already told you, you know, quite like brokerage can be feast or famine, mm-hmm. um, as far as the, uh, the revenues and, uh, dating sites are much more stable on a monthly basis in terms yeah. of their, their revenue. Yeah. So it made a lot of sense there. And, and third, I've been doing this for 10 10 years. I'm still an entrepreneur. I'm uh, uh, always looking for different opportunities. And um, I, I, six years ago, I, I closed myself off to new opportunities because I wanted to focus on Quiet Light. Um, this has given me a chance to, to be able to focus on something else uh, part time uh, to help kind of keep you know keep me uh, uh, interested and, and engaged uh, rather than experiencing burnout, which I think any entrepreneur deals with eventually. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes total sense because, hey, you're, you're helping people, you're bringing, not like you're not helping people with quiet light, but this is more of like making a lasting impact in someone's life because if they meet 
their spouse on the website, that is going to affect the trajectory of everything else in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I don't talk a whole lot about my faith, but I am a faith-based person. I'm a Catholic myself. So being able to do something that that brings that element of my life into uh, my professional life, yeah, that's a great opportunity for me. I I welcome the opportunity to spend part of my work days um, on that. Cool. So um, as we start to wind down the interview, Mark, I just have a couple of wrapping up questions for you. So what got you excited about being an entrepreneur, about being an entrepreneur, what gets you excited about being an entrepreneur? Uh, you know, I, the personal responsibility would probably be the number one thing. It, when I had that first corporate job, being let go uh, for political reasons was one of the most frustrating things I've ever dealt with in life. You know, because I I did a good job at that at that job. You know, I had over two hundred clients, and I heard from a lot of them after this, after I was let go. And a lot of them were really upset that I got let go. Uh, and, and, uh, I hated the fact, I, I resented the fact that, that I, uh, worked for a company and, and uh, uh, that, that, uh, valued hours more than production. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, and that just doesn't mesh with me at all. I really believe in the ability to, in, in being paid based off the productivity that you have. So that's probably the biggest thing that really uh, appeals to me. I'd say, secondly, the, the freedom that it brings, um, which I'd say is a double-edged sword for anyone uh, that, that might be thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. There's a certain amount of freedom it brings, and there's a certain amount of um, difficulty it brings as well. I mean, you can never really get away from your business. But I've had the opportunity to take uh, my family to Europe for a month uh, and uh, spend time there. I'm able to take off random days and, and uh, spend time with my family. Those sort of things are, are really nice, uh, and I like that that part of it. And um, what is or was a significant obstacle you faced, and how did you overcome it? Hmm. There's been a lot. Um, I, I, I think just those periods of time over the past 10 years where uh, the money dried up. Okay. Uh, and, you know, those, those things really um, can be... <laughs> those can be really stressful times, yeah. especially when you have kids. I mean, I remember uh, a couple of years after uh, I started Quiet Light Brokerage and we were not doing too well at the time. And I remember I was putting my daughter to bed, you know, she was just a baby at the time and kind of thinking, what, what am I doing? You know, it's so much scarier, <laughs> so much scarier being an entrepreneur when you have kids. Yeah. I mean, if I was single on my own, whatever, I'd, I'd sleep on couches. I don't care. Um, being a parent and being an entrepreneur is, is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. uh, as far as how do you overcome it, I mean, uh, same way that you overcome anything else. You wake up every day and you, you just get after it. That just because you're terrified uh, or because things are, are difficult doesn't mean that time stops, even if you want it to. Uh-huh. So you just get up and you keep at it. Uh, you, there's really no other choice. Yeah, I love that. And um, I guess my final question is, looking back on your experience thus far, if you could go back in time to advise yourself, what would you tell yourself? Oh, good question. I, probably to invest in Quiet Light earlier than I did, um, because it took me so long to decide what I wanted to do with it. Mm. If I wanted to be uh, full time with it, or if I wanted to do something else, um, and I, I was constantly going back and forth. You know, do I want to start another business, or do I want to keep up with this? So I think probably investing in that business uh, more heavily, heavily early on. Okay. Cool. Well, with that said, Mark, we've reached the uh, end of the show. So where can people 
find out more about you, your business, and of course, get in touch with you if they need to um, reach out to you? Yeah, so you can find out about uh, Quiet Light Brokerage by going to our website, which is quietlightbrokerage.com. That's L-I-G-H-T, um, brokerage.com. Uh, you can always email me at mark at quietlightbrokerage.com or you know find our contact information through our website. Uh, and uh, if you do want to reach out, please do. We, we love talking to, to business owners about their business. Uh, if you're thinking about selling or just want to know what your options are, uh, we, we'd like to be able to lay those out so that you can make a good, educated decision. So feel free to reach out to us directly or, or to me directly, um, and I'm more than happy to have a conversation. Yeah, and I know, Mark, that you write for Entrepreneur a lot, and maybe you're featured in some other um, business publication. I see you have some articles in Forbes and the Huffington Post. So tell us, are you active on social media, and um, where can someone find your... Your, your blog post that's coming out, the 10 favorite deals. Uh, so uh, that'll be on the Quiet Light Brokers blog, so quietlightbrokers.com slash blog. And as far as social media, uh, uh, my name for LinkedIn, so LinkedIn slash in slash Mark Doust. Uh, and Twitter, you can find me uh, at Mark Doust. Okay. Cool. And I'll link to everything you just said in the show notes. Well, at um, the end of the show, I really want to thank you for coming to share your story, your words of wisdom, and your business advice. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast at www.odogwu.com.